Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back. Excuse me to invest talk. This is our May 2nd, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. And yep, it is May, which means that this year is moving by pretty fast. And a lot has happened in just over four months. We're a third of the way through. And the big question isn't about what did happen but about what is going to happen for the balance of the year and into 2023. And I'm Justin Klein, and on this show, I am going to try to unpack that for you, try to give you the data and the perspective that can help you make good money decisions for this year, next year, and beyond. So I'm here to answer your finance and investment questions and give you unbiased answers. No hidden agenda, not pushing anything, just here to try to educate you, show you how much you need to know, data-wise, qualitative-wise. A lot of people underestimate that. They want to come up with a formula. They want to lean on just the data. But data changes. And a lot of the reason it changes is because of qualitative factors. Qualitative meaning nothing you can actually put a number to. Leadership, political environment, etc. So Investing is a multi-factor formula that you have to, you have to balance. You have to balance the risks and rewards, the pros and the cons, and make sure it fits your particular situation and your goals. That's another common mistake people make is they adjust their portfolio for what they think is maximum potential return without an eye on what are you building your nest egg for? What are you building your asset base for? And 
does a lower risk strategy meet your goals 5, 10, 15, 20 years out? Maybe. And vice versa. Some people have their eye on the previous recession, the financial crisis, and think that the risks in the portfolio are a deflationary one, downside risk. And I know this is kind of new to people because you haven't been dealing with a lot of inflation over the past few decades, but the new risk is an inflationary one to the upside, meaning if you're too conservative, you could have your purchasing power erode. Your real return can be negative over time, and that can be drastically, that can be drastic for your portfolio and your financial situation. If inflation is five, six, seven percent on average for the next decade, and you earn one or two percent on average because you're too conservative, well, then year after year, that doesn't feel as bad, doesn't look like you're losing money because nominally you're not, but in real terms, you are. And so it's always understanding the different types of risks that are out there in your investments, both to the upside and the downside. And so I encourage you to reach out to me with your finance and investment questions. And on this show, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. I'm not here to parrot what uh, Jim Cramer is saying. I don't know if you saw the, the recent post. I think he sometime last year and he was talking about the best stocks to own and they were all high multiple growth stocks the pelotons in the world and and mo almost all of them are down you know 50 60 percent or more so that's not my that's not my that's not what um and that's to say you can't be wrong everyone's going to be wrong but it was uh it was interesting to see just how drastically wrong on so many different names um all at once and so this is an environment where, you know, you have to think a little bit differently. We always think uh, independently, and we're here to bring you along in our success. So no matter what I'm talking about, the market as a whole, particular strategy, a particular stock, I'm here to give you the facts as I see them using plus 20 plus years of investment experience to give you some perspective as well. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions, and you get to shape the show to your liking. And you can interact with me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or you can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's always 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, this is Jeff calling from Woodland, California. I have a question about PLB Playboy. I've made some money and I've sold out of my account. I just left one share in my possession. And I'm wondering how low can Playboy go? Thank you very much. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Well, how low can it go? It could go to zero if it is, is managed incorrectly. Um, but we see management uh, doing uh, a lot of smart things, a lot of uh, uh, great growth uh, in its future. It's turned uh, cash flow positive recently and expected to have very, very strong growth and trading at an extremely low multiple compared to its growth potential and 
you know, what we think is uh, a great long-term, um, long-term path uh, of growth for the, for the business. Unfortunately, it's in, a, it's a small cap growth and we're in a slowing growth environment for the economy. And typically small cap growth doesn't do too hot in that environment. So, you know, that's a time when those things get sold off. And this is, this is where you pick up bargains um, in that space. And we think this is, is one of them still. Um, now, are there others in the small cap growth space that are bargains after big drops? Absolutely. But we're still uh, fans of this name. Could it go lower? Absolutely. But we have to get back to a growing economy. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Are we at risk for stagflation? And what is it? The Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates, trying to defuse inflation, but global forces could neutralize the effect of tightening monetary policy. So we're going to look into that a little bit more. Also, value over growth. We're going to look back at the first quarter and look at the data. What parts of the market did well? What parts of the market didn't do so well? And how you can take some lessons from that. And then housing. How will higher interest rates impact the housing market and uh, housing industry overall? And then lastly, vehicle uh, sales. Used vehicle sales, new vehicle sales, just the dynamics within the car market and how that will feed into earnings for the the automakers. And that's going to be very, very important to, uh, to, to consider if you are looking to own GMs, Fords, Teslas of the world. So we're going to look at that if we have time. But ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. That's most important. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART. And we had a, let's look at the market today. The S&P was up 23 points, about half a percent, but a nice solid reversal on the major indices and close near the highs of the day. And you saw the SPY, that had the highest, uh, the highest volume since the reversal day back on February 25th. And so to me, this is a, a good indication that we are headed for a short-term bounce in the market. Now, how long does that last? You know, we'll see. How high does it go? We'll see. Do we get to new highs on the year? Probably unlikely for uh, this particular bounce. Why? Because, you know, the Fed is still with, uh, in the midst of uh, this tightening cycle. But you are still starting to see some things break. Uh, and we have the Fed meeting come up coming up here in a couple of days. And that will be a big, a big event in how the rest of uh, the spring, I think, uh, evolves. And we know the Fed's going to raise half a or half a percent, so 50 basis points. That's not really going to be a shock. That's pretty much priced in the market. If they do less or more, that would be a shock. But the Fed doesn't like to shock the markets. The Fed likes to do what the market is pricing in, like the signal, uh, using uh, forward guidance. And then that's the real, the real big question is how does forward guidance evolve for the balance of the year. Right now, there's about 10 rate hikes priced in for 2022. They've done one, going to do basically two more on Wednesday. And so at least seven for the balance of the year uh, spread across just a handful, I think uh, five additional uh, meetings for, for the rest of the year. 
So the big question is, how aggressive will they maintain uh, their policy stance? What will QT look like? All of that. That's going to really drive the markets uh, in the shorter term. But near term, we do have uh, a nice reversal on volume. And that, to me, uh, is likely to put a floor on the markets uh, in the near term. Now, we have good news for Invest Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to caller questions at a faster pace. We have a new April rapid fire hour that we posted with 30 caller questions in a row. It's available now at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. And now the phone lines are open for you. So give me a call at 888 chart The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a role over 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Dane from North Carolina. I was calling to ask you a question about the travel sector and hotel sector. It seems to me that they have a lot of headwinds coming with just the way interest rates are rising and spending and just people's general activities, as well as, you know, you've got Airbnb, different things coming along. Uh, both those stocks, Expedia, ticker symbol EXPE, and Hilton, ticker symbol HLT, technically they seem to be in a pretty decent trend still, whereas the rest of the market has kind of taken a hit. seems to me it would be a good short opportunity just based off their forward-looking future, but seems technically like it wants to keep going. So just want to know your thoughts on that, on the whole sector in general. Thanks a lot. Well, you're correct in a sense that, yes, higher interest rates are going to slow the economy. We've seen that already. You're starting to see that in economic uh, figures that come out. The ISM report, for example, today certainly showed that a bit. Uh, but consumer balance sheets are pretty flush with cash. They've repaired. They've been repaired a lot with so much money being handed out during the pandemic and people paid down debt with that and and put it in the bank and that's certainly going to last uh, for some time for a lot of people and people weren't paying their mortgage they weren't paying their rent and all of that was used to repair balance sheets and so 
I actually am bullish on travel, the travel sector overall. And you can see that with, like you said, with Hilton and Expedia, those are sectors that are outperforming. They're still in an uptrend, whereas, you know, a lot of sectors are in a downtrend. So I actually don't think they're good shorts. I think they're good longs uh, on pullbacks, uh, as long as you don't think the consumer is going to break, the economy is going to break in a big, big way. And so a lot of it just depends on how tight you expect uh, monetary fiscal policy, sorry, monetary policy to be and the Fed to get. I don't think they're going to uh, really try to break the economy in a huge way. And therefore, uh, I think the, the tailwinds from uh, consumer balance sheets being strong and pent up demand in that sector means uh, leisure travel, I think, is a good place to be. Now we're moving into a break. Don't go anywhere. I'm here taking your calls live on Invest Talk at 888 chart Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime Listener Line, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at Kamiko Corp, CCJ. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Oh, I'm looking to buy it. I, I owned it Buku years ago, but uh, mm-hmm. you've been uh, talking about uranium, so I'm getting interested again, and of course, CCJ has been uh, getting a little more affordable. Uh, is that would that be uh, maybe number one in the uranium area for you, or are there better places? Well, I think risk versus reward. It is number one. It is one of the largest uranium miners in the world, and they have supply here in the U.S., Canada, as well as Kazakhstan, which uh, that's the number one place that uranium comes out of is Kazakhstan, and there is a. There's a company out of Kazakhstan, but there's more political instability there, as you've seen lately. And that's why I probably wouldn't invest uh, it, it, there. Um, I would rather own uh, Kimiko, who has the vast majority of their production, like I said, here in North America. So uh, in its $10 billion valuation, there are some smaller exploration companies that if you're correct. If uranium does go up, they're going to go up more just simply by, uh, you know, their leverage to to prices. Uh, so, if you want to take more risk, there is there are other alternatives uh, and capture more upside. But you also have far more downside if things kind of uh, don't pan out quite as well, and if their production doesn't pan out quite as well. Uh, whereas CCJ, they or Kimiko, they already have proves reserves and it's just about turning on and off uh, particular uh, mines. And so I, I do think it is the best risk versus reward in the space. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Are we at risk for stagflation? And stimulus produced strong savings and spending, especially on goods following the pandemic. And as of March of of this year, prices across all categories were up 8.5% year over year. And the Fed has has noticed this. Uh, They've retired the transitory narrative. And they're going to have uh, a meeting this week to raise rates for um, the second and, and third time, basically, this year. And their goal is to break the back of inflation. And they're probably going to talk a bit about uh, front loading 
some of those those price hikes and QT in order to quell some of the excesses in the economy. Uh, the problem, though, is that they've already been they're about six months, seven months into forward guidance. And their last fall is when they really started to jawbone the end of QE. Uh, began that, I believe that was December of last year. And then talking about rate hikes, an aggressive path of rate hikes. And that brought interest rates much, much higher. The 10-year last fall was had a low about 1.1%. And now and back in August, and now we're at oh, 3% basically today. And that feeds into the broader economy. You know that with mortgage rates, but other aspects of, of lending as well. And if you look at the ISM report today, that was uh, a nice deceleration down about 8% year over year uh, to 55.4. That's from a high in the October of last year of 61.1. And this is the Institute of Supply Management. This is a good gauge on the manufacturing side of, of, of business activity for raw goods. And what's interesting is that if you look at prices paid, which is inflation, that actually also ticked down from 87.1, which was a cycle uh, near a cycle high. The actual high was June of last year at 92.1. Uh, but decelerated to 84.6. So you're already starting to see a bit of deceleration when it comes to uh, things that are happening within the economy. Uh, and this was an April number. A lot of the data that you're looking at and, and you see out there, it's for February or March, often March now. Uh, but April just got over. So this is kind of the first coincidental there's leading indicators, there's lagging indicators. Most of the data that you're typically seeing are lagging indicators. And, and those lagging indicators show prices still going up. But coincidental indicators are starting to show, A, prices are decelerating. So the big question is not, re not whether inflation is going to moderate. It almost certainly is. It's just a matter of where does that level out at. Now, if you look at a leading indicator, and that would be like new orders, so what will production be in the future, that actually decelerated as well to 53.5. That's the lowest level pretty much since the pandemic, since May of last year, when it was at 31, which is deep contraction, and then it hit 56 in June of 2020, and then has been you know, nicely above the 60 level for most of the last uh, couple of years. But now we've, we're continuing to decelerate and that's starting to, to leak into the economy. So while the Fed is trying to break the backs of inflation it, through forward guidance, they're likely to see this data come through here over the next few months. And that's why I think it's a, it's, it's a good bet that the Fed will start to walk back some of this forward guidance by the next Fed meeting as they see some of the data come through. Now, the next and best talk, this story. April was a brutal month for stocks. The S&P was off to its worst year since 1939. But what should you be doing about it? We're gonna, Steve's going to talk about that tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. 
Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced, or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk quiz. The InvestTalk phone lines are open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Go talk to Dave in Ohio looking at BCE Incorporated. This is a Canadian wireless service provider. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it. And uh, thanks, Justin, and thanks for all, all, all that uh, you guys do. Um, comparing it to like AT&T, I own AT&T. Should I just put some more money into AT&T or, um, or BCE? Just uh, what are your thoughts and uh, what a good uh, buy point would be. All right, well, this is BCE. This is one of the largest Canadian wireless service providers in the, the in that country. It's one of the it's one of the big three, 10 million customers, about 30% of the market. So kind of similar. They have a similar market as AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, right? Uh, and they have uh, three major providers as well. So, you know, I think there's better supply better growth of the business uh here in the u.s most likely and so if i'm gonna own one or the other i'm definitely gonna own at t i do think it's cheaper 
and has more potential now that they have kind of spun off Time Warner and don't have to deal with that anymore. Uh, and BC, they're trading at six times forward earnings, whereas BCE is trading at 20. So much cheaper on the AT&T side. Uh, and so I'm going to go with AT&T now. Is BCE bad? No, it's a solid company. Uh, good long-term profitability, return on equity in the mid to high teens, although that has been coming down a bit over the last decade, but still very, very good cash flow, very, uh, very, very solid business. Um, but if I'm picking one or the other, I'm picking AT&T. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Eric in Virginia. Let's talk about oil prices. Hey, how's it going, Justin? Yeah, Doing so um, I just wanted to have a conversation about, you know, obviously it's an election year. And so, you know, I, my question really was, you know, outside of, you know, the war with uh, Russia and Ukraine, and, and is there really anything that the government can do to really bring down oil prices over the summer? Or do you see anything happening on that front? No, I think they've kind of done most of what they, they can do because uh, of the, the SPR release. And they're doing that consistently over, I forget how many months, the next uh, handful of months. And uh, any new production coming online is likely going to take a little while. So, and, and prices are at a point where companies can, if they want to, they can drill more. Now they are getting pressure from board members, activists, uh, et cetera, to not drill. And so I guess that's one hurdle. And then you have governments that uh, on the state and a lot of times local level, think here in California, for example, to try to push companies to drill less. Um, so it's really overcoming political pressure. It's not like they they can't and they don't have the projects that are economically profitable at these oil prices. They absolutely do. It has more to do with uh, the leadership and, and regulatory uh, pressures that are would prevent them. Um, so it's more of, I think, a will to do it than a uh, l the lack of ability to. Uh, they have the cash flow. They have the projects to do it. So in the near term, no, I don't think there's a whole lot the administration can do outside of the SPR. Um, you know, may maybe some negotiations with Venezuela, Iran, places where there can be new supply that isn't on market. Now, Iran kind of is one of those ones where people think it's going to do a lot, but it's probably not going to do a whole lot because they're already selling to non-allies uh, like uh, say India, for example, um, and other countries that are okay, uh, you know, getting around the, those sanctions. So there's some minor things on, on the on the margins, but nothing they can do to transform the industry to, to invest more in production that's going to come online between now and the the election. So thanks for the call. Let's go to Al in West Virginia. Wants to talk about Class A shares. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, Berkshire Class A and a uh, couple of questions. First, I noticed that it has a uh, Schwab equity rating of C, so I'm curious to know your thoughts on why that is. Uh, secondly, I noticed it doesn't pay a dividend and there are no options. So there really isn't any way to extract any sort of income from those shares. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the only way would be to actually sell a share, 
mm-hmm. you know, to get the money out. And that mm-hmm. seems kind of, you know, at the price where it is, it seems kind of, uh, you know, uh, pretty dramatic, you know, to, to mm-hmm. take the money out. Mm-hmm. Just uh, curious in, you know, what you think and what your recommendations are regarding the Class A shares. Well, the first thing I would say is I wouldn't go based on a Schwab rating. Uh, most of those are just an algorithm. Uh, and Berkshire is a complex entity. They have obviously mainly insurance business with Geico, but they have food service operations. They have energy business, manufacture flooring. They're in finance and apparel. Uh, so there's just, they're a conglomerate. And so it makes any just generic formula become pretty unuseful. Uh, so I definitely wouldn't, I, I don't go based on some big brokerage houses ratings for various reasons. One is process, two is conflicts of interest, et cetera. So never use those as a buy or sell decision in any way, shape or form. Now you could use their earnings expectations, things like that, but not their buy or sell recommendations. So there's that. Um, now, when it comes to Berkshire itself, that's one of their their strategies is we're not going to pay a dividend. Why? Because they think that they can deploy the capital, deploy their free cash flow in a more effective way than you can and have har- higher ROI. And therefore, it's better for them to keep that cash and redeploy it when things are cheap into businesses that they are are excited about and uh, have reasonable valuations. And so you're right. It is about whether they, you know, if you want some cash from it, you you sell the shares, hopefully at a gain and you pay your capital gains tax, hopefully long-term you've held it for a while, uh, et cetera. And that's, that's the nature of, of that ownership. And, you know, if you want to buy class B, right, you can buy, the B shares, that's going to be a lot lower price, $318 per share, and you're still getting uh, you know, exposure there. And then if you peel off a few shares, that's not hundreds of thousands of dollars like Class A. So that's what I would move into if you're trying to get quote-unquote income from it. You're going to get that income from price appreciation uh, and be able to sell that off whenever you need to as opposed to you know their philosophy is, yes, income is good, but why force people to take the income on top of the fact that they can redeploy it better? Why force people to take the income, pay a, a taxes on it when they don't have to, when they don't need it? And so that's their philosophy, and that's what you have to go with if you're going to buy Berkshire. Now let's pivot to an iTunes review question. Edward from New York says, I have shares in stock energy transfer. ET is the symbol. It has been on an uptrend and it has a low PE and pays a dividend. I'm wondering if it's a good time to pick up more shares as the U.S. is moving towards supplying natural gas to Europe. And this is energy transfers. This is uh, engaged in natural gas midstream liquid transportation storage business here in the U.S. And remember, this is a limited partnership. So you might be looking at that 7.1% dividend yield. And the first thing you have to know is that's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. And if it's in a tax-deferred account like an IRA, 401k, if you earn over $1,000 in income, then you have to file separate tax returns. It becomes a bigger pain because you're going to get a K-1. Right? So understand that first is know what type of entity and corporate structure or partnership structure that the 
company uh, is, is operating under. So that's first off. Now, I like it. I like uh, energy partner transfer. Uh, it does have a lot of debt, but that ha they have been working that off now that they're cash flow positive. They were struggling during the pandemic because volumes dropped and, and they had a lot of a lot of debt to support. And you're right, uh, based on forward looking earnings of $1.40, it's trading roughly eight times forward earnings at $11.28. Like I said, seven percent dividend yield, which is which is quite nice, uh, and that has been been going up over time as well. And so their business is steady. Like you said, they're they're gonna there's a lot of natural gas moving throughout the U.S. to export to to Europe, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But they did cut their dividend. It was a dollar twenty two in twenty nineteen. Now it's at sixty one cents. So it just shows you that while that dividend is is nice they can cut it whenever they want. Now they're going to cut it in half again for whatever reason. Yeah, probably not, but understand that that is a risk. So this is definitely a higher risk play, but I'm a fan of energy transfers. ET is the symbol. Now let's pivot over to growth versus value and nearly 90% of us equity funds. This is from Morningstar under their coverage lost money in the first quarter of this year. What was the worst category? Small cap growth. I talked about it before with Playboy, that just the broad category, anything smaller cap, it's focused on growth, multiples contracted, and money was flowing out of those type of names. So that was the largest loss uh, of all types of style factors. Now, U.S. value in general, that gained 2.4% in the first quarter. Gain 2.4%. Remember, this is uh, not including April, which was a bad month kind of for everything, but we're talking about the first quarter through the end of March. The growth index overall lost 12%. 12%. That's before April. So that's why the NASDAQ is down over 20% for the year. Now, higher oil prices helped US equity energy funds. So those jumped 30%. 3% in the first quarter, commodity funds overall, those rose about 24.4%. So value stocks tend to have a lot more of those uh, energy and commodity names, and that certainly helped overall. And the growthier side typically holds technology stocks. They took the most pain. U.S. tech funds down 13.7% on average. And the, the more that you hugged your particular style factor, the either better you did or worse you did. So if you were in the value side and you were really a very strong pure play value and you didn't venture over in the growth at all, well, you did the best and, and vice versa. If you were a growthier fund and you had almost no type, no value type names, then you did far, far worse. For example, ARC is the perfect example. They declined 29.9% ARKK in the first quarter, and that's more than double the mid-cap growth, which is probably their benchmark if you kind of blend where uh, all the types of uh, companies they have from large cap to mid-cap and small cap. They're kind of a mid-cap uh, growth fund. That was down 12.6. So they were down 30, down over double. So that's what's so crazy to me is that so many people are still talking. I still see uh, post Oak, uh, Kathy Wood said this, Kathy Wood said that. She should have lost all her credibility. Anybody that listens to anything she said needs to be taken out in the woodshed and, and shot because they don't know how to invest. Neither does she. 
she got caught up in 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 a, in a small se- segment of time where uh, you threw anything that was uh, stay at home and you did great and she did great for one particular year. Anybody can do well for one particular year, and now she's basically being shown for what she is, which is just a a, a pumper of of stories and 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 not actually a real investor because she's sticking to it even though the dynamics of the market have changed and many of these names have shown that they they just don't have the goods uh, just look at uh, what happened with Teladoc uh, recently look what happened with Peloton I mean just so many of her names have fallen out of bed and she's still sticking to it so it's pretty conser- pretty crazy but it just goes to show you that the 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 more extreme you were in your particular style factor once again, the better you did it, or the worse you did. Now, the more conservative growth funds, they held up better than the aggressive uh, peers overall. And same thing on the value side. Like I said, those that really, really leaned into value, those did much better. And this is um, not just the end of it. It's not the one quarter type of trend. I think this is a, a trend that really is kicking off uh, the rest of the decade. And this is why you need to adjust your your portfolio. Now, this is Invest Talk. It's a busy Monday, and I'm here ready for your questions. So give me a call at 888 99Chart. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday, and that is to help you become a better investor, help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And that can mean you need help with bonds. That could be help mean you need help with uh, equities. Maybe it's uh, your spending habits or your savings habits. Whatever it is, we're here to help you in any way we can. That's why we love your questions, and that's why this whole show is dedicated to you. I, I can talk about, you know, our, our, our the title of the show uh, every every day, and we always try to do that. But that's just what I want to talk about. That's maybe not what you want to talk about. So that's why we are here is to field your questions and give you perspective and data. So our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Talk 888-99-CHART. All right, let's go to Dave in Palo Alto looking at advanced micro devices. AMD, you own it or looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it, Justin. I just wonder if you thought it had, had, had taken enough of a hit for me to start slowly adding back in, getting back into it. I sold it off in early April, fortunately. Okay. And just the semi-space in general, whether you thought they were a safer place to, to be these days. I definitely don't think it's a safer place to be because 
as we've been talking about on the show, that the spending habits around the world are shifting from the goods economy into the services economy as people can go out and spend on going out to dinner and traveling, etc. And uh, less and less people are needing laptops and things uh, during which, you know, during the pandemic drove a lot of buying of computers, which certainly helped AMD earnings in 2019 were only 64 cents. And last year, they made $2.79 a share. So let's make $4 this year and $4.69 next year. But those analyst estimates are coming down, along with the stock now down 45% from its 52-week high. So it is getting a little bit of a, a bounce here. But I see this downtrend as pretty enduring. And our value remains lower into the mid-60s. And now it's at uh, 89 and change the close today. So I, I do expect this to continue lower and I would be patient on it. It's definitely in the large cap growth side. Uh, the semiconductor, the SMH uh, sector is, is, is weakening below all the major moving averages. And, and once again, you can get a, a near term bounce, but it's not cheap enough for me yet. And especially when you look at it compared to Intel, which, you know, AMD has certainly closed the gap technologically on Intel in a big, big way. But Intel still has its strengths as well, and they're valued pretty much the same. And so it's assuming that 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 AMD will grow at a consistent rate for a long period of time, considering last quarter or say the last year, Intel's done roughly eighty billion dollars in sales, where AMD has only done roughly what's this fifteen billion or so. And they're valued nearly this at the same same price. Uh, so I don't think it's cheap enough. I would be patient on AMD. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's get to let's talk a little about housing. Now, affordability has since eroded over the past year as you've had a 200 basis point increase in the 30 year mortgage rate to over 5% as of uh, you know the end of last month. And home prices continue to go up. And there, there's some analog to this. First is late 2018, home sales slowed pretty fast and there was a 100 basis point increase then from four to 5% in less than a year. So slower pace and magnitude definitely smaller. But well, the short the, the slowdown was short lived as mortgage rates quickly moderated. You had the big sell off at the end of uh, 2018. The Fed kind of pivoted into 2019, and then uh, you know you had the Treasury issue in the fall, and then co uh, 2019, and then COVID uh, in early 2020, and that brought mortgage rates uh, back down in a big big way. Uh, and and a lot of people are calling for a crash in the housing market. And the big difference between now and, say, pre-financial crisis is that over the past couple of years, borrowers with credit scores of 76, 760 or better accounted for 70, 70% of mortgage originations. In the mid-2000s, that was only 25%. So the borrowers that have mortgages have much better credit scores, much better balance sheets. And so a recession is unlikely to see a wave of foreclosures like you saw back then. It's very, very different. Okay. 
Now, is this going to slow the economy or slow, excuse me, slow the housing market? Absolutely. But since the financial crisis, residential construction has not kept pace with household formations. So U.S. stock, U.S. housing stock is undersupplied by approximately 3.5 million units. And that's the, the crux of it here is that while, yes, the housing market will slow, it's not going to have a giant crash because of strong borrowers that have loans today, so not a wave of foreclosures, and then a complete undersupply of homes. Whereas pre-financial crisis, there was an oversupply of homes. Builders went nuts. And just a good example of why the next crisis is typically not the same as the previous crisis. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And over the weekend, our official Invest Talk download count crossed over 41 million thanks to you. So get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. 